Happy New Year to you guys. Were any of you shocked when you heard that we were wrapping up our Christmas series today? You're like, wait, I thought that already happened. Um, and in fact, it, it did happen. Um, but I want you guys to think of this morning as a little bit of a bonus week on our Christmas series. And for, you know, when we think about receiving a bonus, it can be exciting. We can think about what we might be able to do with that bonus, perhaps install a pool or something cool like that. Uh, perhaps it's more like being enrolled in the Jelly of the Month Club. You decide, you decide. Uh, for me, I'm super excited as we wrap up our Christmas series here uh, today together. And from a church history and a church calendar perspective, this is actually not uh, anything strange. This is common uh, that the week after Christmas, the first week in January, uh, that we would celebrate uh, Epiphany. Has anybody ever heard of Epiphany? I've heard of having an Epiphany, like, Aha, right? But Epiphany uh, is the festival where we celebrate the Magi coming to visit Jesus, uh, where the Gentiles are exposed to the Messiah, which is a really cool thing. And it's a little bit confusing for those of us who've been, uh, you know, in the United States, growing up in America, celebrating Christmas, and we see the nativity scenes in people's yards. Don't we usually see the Magi there at the nativity? Well, you're going to learn something today here at Mosaic because the Magi were not at the nativity at all. They weren't there at the birth of Jesus in the manger at all. Uh, they actually come later. And so we're going to journey into their story uh, today because there's some incredible beauty and wonder to be found in the story of the Magi coming to visit Jesus. So let's grab our Bibles together. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, which, as you can tell, you know, being chapter two of, of the book of Matthew, one of, one of the four gospels, uh, it's still very early uh, in the story. Matthew chapter two, starting in verse one, it says this. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. So there's our first clue. This, this story comes after uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, of Judea in the, the days of Herod the king. It says, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, uh, you know, in oral tradition, in, in church tradition, in, in uh, American cultural uh, uh, tradition, we think a few different things about the wise men, right? Uh, we think that these wise men are how many in number? Three, we three kings of Orient are. There are so many errors in that one statement. It's, it's amazing. Uh, because from a biblical perspective, the text actually doesn't tell us how many there were. Where do we get the idea that there were three kings? Right, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Nailed it, you get an A today. Um, and, and, and gold, frankincense, and myrrh, because there were three gifts, kind of give us the idea that there were three kings. Later, later, later in church history, they even start to give uh, names to these three kings. They, I think they just pull it from thin air. And uh, they give names that represent maybe different areas from, from which the, the, the wise men or the magi may have come from. Uh, also, the idea that they were kings 
uh, is probably not accurate. Uh, the, the, the Greek gives us the word magi. Uh, the ESV translates that wise men. Um, the, the, the root of that word is the word that we get magician uh, from. And, and the reality is, is these people were probably astrologers. Uh, these were not Jewish God-fearing people. They were pagan people, probably from Babylon, maybe Persia, uh, somewhere in the ancient Near East. So also not from the Orient. Uh, so these were not Chinese or Japanese people or, you know, people from the far East coming to visit Jesus. These are people from the Near East, from most likely Babylon coming to visit Jesus. The one thing the song does get right is that they did travel from afar, okay? So we'll give it some credit. We'll give those songwriters some credit. But uh, what we experience is that as these magi come and visit Jerusalem, there is some amazing things that the text is going to help us see about the climate in which Jesus had been born into, about what the world was like when Jesus was born and what was going on during that time. So let's read along together. So they come from the east to Jerusalem saying this, verse two, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. So there's a couple of things here. These magi who were from the ancient Near East who had had to travel very far away, who were not Jewish, they knew to be expectant of the Jewish Messiah to be born and that a star would mark out his birth. So these were people who were familiar enough with the Jewish scriptures, perhaps because uh, the nation of Israel had been exiled to where? Babylon. And during their exile, there was this man named Daniel. And Daniel, God used very, very mightily in Babylon. And you can go read his story in the Old Testament. And Daniel is placed over the king's court, over who? The Magi. <gasps> How cool is that, right? And so here is uh, this, this climate in which these pagan non-Jewish people would have been familiar with this expected savior to be born. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that out of Judah will come a star. A star will be born uh, to the nation of Israel that would come and be the rescuer, the Messiah, the one that they should expect. And so these magi were looking and searching and waiting and ready for the arrival of the Messiah. And they were not even Jewish people. And that's really important because we're gonna figure out what climate they walk into when they head into Jerusalem. Now, they go into Jerusalem for a good reason. They're there because Jerusalem is the epicenter of Jewish worship of Yahweh. Of any place in the world that should be expecting that a Messiah would be born, it would be Jerusalem. All of the temple worship was happening in Jerusalem. And so when these magi show up to Jerusalem asking this question, where is he who had been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When they said that, I bet you they expected to say, to, to, to hear or to experience people say, oh yeah, let us come show you this king. Well, when they show up, they don't get introduced to this Messiah king. In fact, they get introduced to some bozo named Herod. Verse three, now when Herod the king, now I got to unpack that for just a second. Who is Herod? 
Herod was a client king that the Roman Empire had installed over Judea. He was an imposter. He was not truly uh, Jewish. He didn't have Jewish interests. He had very Roman interests. He was a very wicked person. Uh, We've dove deeply into uh, how wicked he uh, is in the past, but I will tell you, he's not a good dude. And when he hears that these wise men have shown up and they're looking for the king of the Jews, what do you think is going on in Herod's mind? That's my job. (laughs) I'm the king of the Jews. And yet the Magi were not satisfied just by meeting Herod. See, for the Magi, they weren't looking for an earthly king. For for the Magi, they weren't looking for someone who was about an earthly kingdom. Again, our cultural context, our cultural climate, we're all about who's the earthly king, who's in charge, who's who's in power, and, and do I follow him or her or them? But these Magi, they were not interested in who was physically in charge, the earthly king. They were interested in the promised king, the one who had been born the true king of the Jews. So when Herod heard, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was threatened. He said, "Uh uh-oh, I'm this fake client king and this promised king has been born, the king of the Jews. Herod would have at least had general awareness that there was an expectation of a Messiah that would come to to rule and to reign and to uh, release the nation of Israel from its oppression. In fact, there were many uh, false messiahs that showed up that people would follow. And oftentimes they had to squash those rebellions. And Herod would have thought to himself, well, we got to figure out who this king is, where this king is at, because he's a threat to my kingdom. And not only was Herod troubled, but all Jerusalem was troubled with him. What does the scripture mean here? That that Jerusalem would have been troubled with Herod because those who were in power at the time were benefiting by supporting Herod and his regime. And they were not uh, doing what what God had called them to do to lead the nation of Israel. They were doing what they could do to get by under Roman rule. And so all of Jerusalem, the scripture says, was troubled along with Herod. Jerusalem should have been excited. Jerusalem should have been wondering where, wait, the Messiah has been born? We've got to go find him. But instead they were troubled. Verse four, it says, Herod assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born. Verse five, well, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And this is from Micah chapter five, verse two. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And they understood this as a prophecy that that the Messiah would come in the line of David, that he would come to Bethlehem and he would be the one that would shepherd the people Israel. So the scribes, all of the religious leaders, they inform Herod, hey, this baby, this Messiah that's gonna be born is gonna be born in Bethlehem. Verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and he ascertained from them what time the star 
had appeared. This is key. It helps us understand that this is not the manger scene that we're stepping into. This comes after because this star appears and they make this massive journey to come. Uh, and it's not like you just hop on a, a flight, you know, and show up. Uh, this is a long journey um, where they probably had to travel by camel and, and to get to Jerusalem would have taken many, many months, if not longer. Verse eight. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. There's a few interesting things here that I just have to step into. Number one, we, we can see right through Herod's plan because he was troubled at the news of the birth of Jesus. First of all, we know he's not truly excited about the birth. Secondly, if you continue to read through the text, you know that after the Magi uh, go another way, and we're going to find out how God tricks uh, Herod with the Magi. It's awesome. I love when God tricks people. But we're going to find that when the Magi, they go a different way, Herod, through ascertaining when the star had, had appeared, how long ago this baby must have been born, Herod decides to go kill all of the baby boys in Bethlehem age two and under. Maybe he's just covering his bases, but at, at some point we, we have to recognize that he is looking at this child, not as an infant, but as a young child and making sure that the threat is taken care of. So Herod, he, we know he's the worst, and so we can't expect anything good from him. But for those Jewish people who had been awaiting a Messiah, to hear that this Messiah had been born and not one of them got off of their tushes to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to go see if he had been born demonstrates how spiritually depleted the environment was in Jerusalem at that time. That to get up from Jerusalem and go to Bethlehem was too much trouble for them to see if the Messiah had been born is incredibly telling. Bethlehem is not very far from Jerusalem. It's about six miles journey. And here these pagan astrologer wise men come hundreds and hundreds of miles, a journey that took months and months and months to come and visit this child because what do they want to do when they see him? They want to worship him. And I love what these magi do. After listening, verse nine, to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, again, here are these Gentiles, these pagans who should not be so excited about a Jewish Messiah being born. And yet here they are rejoicing exceedingly with great joy joy. Verse 11, and going into the house, so not a manger, right? Uh, Mary and Joseph had set up shop in Bethlehem. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures. I love that Matthew uses that word. Opening their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are gifts that are fit only 
for royalty. These are gifts that are fit only for a king. And they knew that this was not just any king, but this was the Messiah. This is the one who would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And here they are in the house with Mary. The child is there. They fall down and they worship Jesus and they give him costly gifts that are fit for a king. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, there's God's trick. They departed to their own country by another way. I love this story because I see the hand of God and the movement of God and the working of God and the action of God in this story of working throughout the history of the nation of Israel, even through the exile into Babylon, even through the dispersion of of the Torah to these pagan nations, of allowing these pagan magicians, these astrologers of all people to be able to come and to experience the worshiping of Jesus, to to see the Messiah who had been born, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The fact that God was willing to include them is amazing and that he went to great lengths to ensure that they could experience Jesus. This is epiphany when we celebrate that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not simply for the nation of Israel, but it's for all peoples. And if you're here and you're not an ethnic Jew, you're a Gentile, which means that you have been included into the family of God if you have put your trust in Jesus for salvation. And you and I, do we deserve it? Not a one of us do. But God went out of his way. He went to great lengths to invite the Gentile nations in. And I love the action of God the sovereignty of God and the provision of God and the generosity of God to bring these Gentiles to come and to experience the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But I also love the human action in this story where where the human response of these magi is to fall down and to worship and to give costly gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and to recognize this child who had been born, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords of lords. And when you think about the the climate that they walked into in Jerusalem, the the people who were uh, threatened by the arrival of Jesus, the people who were indifferent to the arrival of Jesus. It reminds me of this, uh, this portion of the book of Malachi, which is the last Old Testament book to be written. Just a few pages back, if you want to turn there, with me that that Malachi is is really giving an indictment to Israel because the the, the priests were offering uh, polluted offerings in the temple. They were not giving God the glory that he was due. They were, instead of giving the the pure and spotless, blemished, unblemished lambs, they were giving gifts and offerings of just convenience of kind of whatever they had left over and just doing it out of obligation to, to kind of fulfill their duty rather than to bring their best to God. And so Malachi is writing this uh, from the voice of the Lord to the people of Israel. And here's what he says, starting in verse eight of chapter one. He says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? 
So you're looking around at your flock and you're saying, what's the blemished one? You know, instead of giving the unblemished, the the most precious, uh, the most priceless animal that I have to give, I'm just going to find the one that is is, uh, blemished and that is not going to cost me very much. And, and, And so Malachi is saying, when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any one of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. The Hebrew word there for in vain just means that which costs you nothing. He's saying just shut the doors to the temple. Stop it all. I would rather you give me nothing than give me that which costs you nothing. God says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Uh, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great, not just in Israel, but where? Among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts. Here in Malachi, we see God is saying to the nation of Israel, don't bring me what is left over. Don't bring me what doesn't actually cost you anything. Bring me worship that I deserve because I am the God who has made the heavens and the earth. I am the only thing in all of creation that is worthy of being praised because I am the author of creation himself. And I have created you to know me and for me to know you. And I've created you to love me and for me to love you. And when you go after all of these other things, you're simply missing the point. And I wish I could say that I only see that in the nation of Israel. But I also see it every morning when I look at the mirror. Because it is so easy for all of us to live our lives in such a way where we bring God what is left over, what costs us nothing, rather than bringing God what he deserves, which is all of us. A completely different experience of worship, a completely different experience of receiving the Messiah for who he is, is given to us in Isaiah chapter 60, And we will, as we hear the words in Isaiah chapter 60, you will pick up on some of the the things that happen through the story of the Magi. As these Magi travel from far away to bring costly gifts to to worship this Jewish Messiah, people uh, that don't even belong to, to be a part of the family of God, they come from far away to give costly gifts of worship to Jesus. And Isaiah predicts what that's going to look like in chapter 60 and that the future glory of Israel will come when Christ is born. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has 
come. This series we call The Light of the World because Jesus, when he came into human history, he came as the light of the world. And this is what Isaiah is talking about. For you, light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, this sinful planet. This is why we love to call it planet death around here, right? For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and a thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And listen to this, nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around you and see that they all gather together. They all come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Then your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Man, here is Isaiah saying, when Jesus comes, all the nations are gonna come and celebrate it. When Jesus comes, a new family, the, the, the new nation, the new people of God is going to be welcomed in. The Gentiles will be welcomed in. Ephesians chapter two, verse 13 says, those who were far off like you and like me have now been brought near. And what our response should be is a heart of exaltation, a heart of praise and a heart of worship. And I love the Magi coming and falling down and presenting gifts that were costly of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And today, you and I, as we begin this new year, before we close the chapter on the Christmas season, before we close the chapter on the season of the story of the coming of the Messiah, let's not move past this so quickly that we forget to stop and recognize that this king that has been born is worthy of a costly whole life offering of praise because he is not only the Messiah of the nation of Israel, but he is our Messiah and he is our savior. And in him, we have life and light. What a savior we have, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We worship you today. We recognize you, Jesus, that you are the King of kings and that you are the Lord of lords and that there is no one like you. God, I pray that you would help us to stop and to consider who you are and all you've done and your goodness to us, that you would invite the nations to know you, that you would invite Gentiles like us to know you, that you would draw us to yourself and that we could recognize you for who you are, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, help us to not bring offerings that don't cost us anything. Instead, that we would bring our whole lives to you, that our gold and that our frankincense and that our myrrh would be a presentation of our whole life to you, that we would not hold anything back from you, God, that we would not worship creation, but that we would worship creator, that we would live our lives in a response to your goodness, that 
We who were far off have now been brought near to you, Jesus, by the blood that you shed on Calvary. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for taking on human flesh and dwelling among us. Thank you for living a life that we should have lived, but we couldn't. We failed and we fell. And then you died the death that deserved to be died by us, a substitutionary death so that we could have eternal life by faith in you, Jesus. And we thank you that you are alive and that you are well and that you are ruling and that you are reigning and that you are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. We love you, Jesus. Help us to worship you. It's in your name we pray.